0: With guests from all over the world, from different wisdom traditions, I wish to create a web of loving energy that permeates the whole world to create more love and peace. You can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube for more guidance and love. Hi Annabelle, welcome back to the podcast. Hi
1: Shireen, thank you so much for inviting me back again. So good to be here.
0: I'm so happy to have you here and we did uh, have a conversation a couple of weeks ago and we're gonna uh, dive a little bit deeper into some of the topics we did get into and I think that it's going to be so beautiful to listen to your wisdom again I'm really happy that we're connecting today again
1: thank you so much I love speaking with you so it's great to be here again
0: thank you for being here and for those maybe that haven't listened to the first episode we did if you want to introduce yourself first and what you do and we can take it from there so
1: I'm Annabelle de Voulay and I'm founder of the Avalon Rose Chapel here in Glastonbury in the Summerlands and I have 30 years experience academically and experientially uh, in goddess spirituality Um, and specifically looking at gnosticism and that interplay uh, between goddess paganism um, and the rose lineage and then looking at how uh, the patriarchal church manipulated and distorted those true teachings in order to control women in society so i specialize in stripping back those layers of patriarchal distortion and getting to those original teachings, which I think is what we're going to be focusing on today.
0: I love that. And it's really something that on your path, when you start discovering, it's so beautiful because for me, it's like, I would say like each month, each year like one pedal or one page opens up and there's so much to uncover. And I'm just, like right now, I feel like with the start of this year, been very drawn to Gnosticism and also these ancient teachings and how they also connect. So we we don't even know how far back these lineage lineages go. So it's very exciting. And I want to ask you, like maybe some some people who are listening in now and since you have such a long um, academic background within this uh, Maybe some people have heard about Gnosticism, for example, but don't know exactly what what it is and who who they were. And what what from your studies and your perspective and your experiences, how would you describe it?
1: So um, I teach a workshop on the early Christian Gnostics as part of my Avalon Rose Priestess training. So if I just share some of those teachings with you and then it will help to put it into context sort of historically as well. Um, But the early Christian Gnostics were the original Uh, Jewish Christians um, at the time of Christ and following the crucifixion. So um, there was a group of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were led by James, who were persecuted and they fled to Alexandria. And it was in Alexandria that we had this incredible melting pot of Egyptian mythology, Um, of the Hebrew mythology and of the Greco mythology. And they actually coexisted in this amazingly harmonious way. So there was this incredible weaving of all these different uh, mythologies, but they all have their their same roots. So when I teach the Path of the Rose Lineage, I can literally track the mythos from ancient Mesopotamia through ancient Judaism, ancient Egypt, and then the ancient Greco-Romano. So we see all these traditions that have their share the same origin um, coming together in Alexandria in those first three centuries AD. And, um, and there the um, focus was very mystical, very esoteric. And it's only in the fourth century AD that the patriarchal church, the Orthodox Church, begins to eradicate these early Gnostic Christian teachings, and specifically to eradicate Sophia. So Sophia was their primary goddess, the divine feminine, known as the mother of the universe, and she plays an essential part in early Christian Gnostic mythology, um, and. When the patriarchal church rises, um, and with the Pauline um, scriptures, uh, she is uh, completely destroyed. She's, um, you know, eradicated from uh, from the Bible. Um, and so, uh, I absolutely love sort of stripping back those layers and getting back to these core teachings of the early Christian Gnostics that are completely founded on this millennia tradition of what I call the rose lineage. Um, So the main, well there there are two main myths and uh, one is the myth of the descent of the god and his death and then his resurrection and of course um, that you can also track the whole way down the millennia and in that mythos it is the divine mother or the goddess Isis for example who descends and remembers him and resurrects him and so this is literally just about to be played out in the resurrection rites which are the foundation of the paschal rites of easter Um, and then the other mythos is about the soul and its return to what they call the pleroma so the myth of Sophia um, which is really the core myth um, is the metaphor for this so this is the belief that between lifetimes our spirit or our oversoul dwells in the interlife and that's known as the Pleroma in Gnosticism. Other people might call it heaven. Um, I love to call it the Rose Garden of Eden. And at that point, Sophia and Christ are united um, as typically in the mythology, they are always sister and brother, but also bride and bridegroom. And this is where later we get this idea in Christianity of the three Marys, Playing these different roles of of the mother, the divine mother who births the sun god, and then Magdalene as the lover who becomes his sacred bridegroom, and then we have the other Mary who is in the role of the aunt and the wise woman. Really, um, so we have this kind of triple goddess energy of the maiden, lover, mother, crone. Um, and in this myth of Sophia she then descends to earth. So that is her incarnation. And this is the the fall, the descent, the separation from source and from our soul. And typically she is um, personified as a prostitute, as a widow, um, destitute on the streets. This is a metaphor for our egoic journey when we are separate from our soul and from source, when we've forgotten who we are. And it is Sophia's uh, path and our path to awaken, to become conscious that we are a soul and that we are at one with source and our soul. And it is our journey to return to source. And we do that, through the spiraling mythic descent and ascent of life, through all the challenges that we face, because it is through the dark nights of the soul that we find not only the light of Sophia, but the light of our own inner wisdom. And each time we do that, we come closer and closer back to our essential self, our soul and source. And so eventually she returns to Christ, to her bridegroom in the Pleroma, and they perform the sacred marriage. And it's from their sacred marriage that they give birth to the divine magical child self. And so in this aspect, Sophia and Christ are two parts of our self. So they are our spirit and our soul. And when they come together and create that sacred marriage, we give birth to our divine magical child self um, in the next spiral of life. And when you look at Jung's interpretation of this, he um, he theorizes that this divine magical child self is our soul, is our essential self. And so I work very deeply with This archetypal journey of uh, the sacred marriage, the descent, the ascent, and then the sacred marriage once more, and then the birth and the return to that divine magical child aspect of us. And so this really is the blueprint for our soul's journey and um, for me. These ancient teachings that are founded on this much, much older pagan mythic tradition are teaching us the path of Gnosis. And the path of Gnosis, which is self-knowledge, is not a left-brain, academic, learned or taught um, knowledge. It is Gnosis. It is the Gnosis, the wisdom that we gain as unique individuals from our own unique path of experience. And this is, of course, why the church, the patriarchal church, um, had to eradicate this philosophy, which in philosophy comes from the Greek word philosophia, a love of Sophia, a love of wisdom, um, because it was a direct threat to their ability to control us. Um, Because if you empower someone, An individual to believe that wisdom is to be found in their own path of gnosis, their own uh, experience of life, then that uh, eradicates any power that a patriarchal organization can have over you by insisting that you can only access God through a priest, for example, through an intermediary. Whereas these early Christian Gnostics um, were teaching what Christ taught, which was that the path to the divine is through your own Gnosis.
0: That was such a beautiful journey into that and so many aspects. Thank you so much. And I love that, uh, the creation story and uh, how and it, it 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 is a big it's such a big um topic and a big it like any type of philosophy or like creation story it's it's a lot to like understand and so many layers so i'm really loving like to learn more about it, about it but it it is also like a remembrance or something that seems familiar because you can kind of i'm thinking about like this Sophia because when i when i hear it and it's uh when i think about the energy of this either this goddess or this like entity that is just like an eternal thing that is everything and every in everyone i'm also thinking about the maya and the this whole like that everything that we experience as human beings is a a feminine like expression of something Mm. and uh, it's like reoccurring and then when we go back further like you said and also since I'm really uh, drawn to Ishtar and the stories from that part of the world and uh, where, like my physical body and DNA is from, I really love how when you start studying that, things become clear that there's a pattern, uh, because how I see it is that in those stories, like there's obviously deities and star beings that come down and <laughs> and there's so much that's happening, and it's being. Like recorded in some way, and um, and the mythologies are showing always these dualities between like light and darkness or like good or, and something that's trying to control us, right? Mm-hmm. And how this becomes shifted all of the sudden, right? With the the serpent, which is so. Like sacred wisdom, and then that becomes something like it's so clear when you when you really get to see the whole picture, it's so clear that there's something that has been that did go very wrong in a way, and which with where something got very like misinterpreted. And then also when you look at Ishtar's stories or Inanna, it's how they shift from being like very feminine empowered to becoming more and more masculine dominated as the time went, right? Yes. And how her, th- this, uh, this uh, honoring of the feminine started to decline. So there's mm. also like a very parallel thing mm. happening around that time. Mm. And how that then, then you have these, these people that probably like, lived and expressed what what was taught from the beginning and then that became like um these teachings were had to be hidden like you said to, to be able to control and mm-hmm. when we look at how society went from that that time and forward was like this incredible imbalance between the mm-hmm. feminine and masculine in every aspects of society so Mm. and we are still in it because even though we don't have a church controlling something i think that we forget here in uh, first in europe because the colonialization of this Mm. this type of overtaking of the mind it started first such a long time ago here in Sweden, at least a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. uh, when when you couldn't anymore practice what your ancestors practiced. Mm-hmm. So that's a colonialization as well. Of mm-hmm. it's like a sacred and and uh, a religious mm-hmm. colonialization,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: something came in that that had nothing to do with that spiritual it was like disguised and then and this is what I what before we started this talk uh, I thought this has become very clear because when you look at uh, these ancient viking sites for example and you see that clearly it's something else has has been understood here and that this is the of course, people will then turn away from that which has colonialized, and we become secularized instead, yeah. which has been so of course, because you in your in your body, it doesn't feel good to have a religion anymore or to be a part of that at all. And then uh, other other ways to to, like you said, like to control. Uh, people happened and it, it it and and another type of worship which is uh the worship of uh science the worship of and, and i'm not talking about that that it's a bad thing but like always wanting to have like a physical explanation to everything and not considering that there's so many aspects to life that we cannot it, like pinned down physically and then the worship of um money and consumers like and so we're be, still being controlled in a way but in a different way but it's like the same pattern that's wow. been going on and then we forget the indigenous ways and we forget the indigenous beliefs and thoughts and that's why mother earth is in this state right now and also, this wisdom is held also a lot by women, and when women have been suppressed, a lot is being lost. Yeah. So I I just find find it so interesting. And now, like Gnosticism is coming back in a way. I feel like, and yeah. and it, it entails so much. Mm-hmm absolutely
1: yeah i I agree with everything you've said shireen and it's very interesting when you look i mean i remember studying the secularization of the uk um Mm. you know back when i was doing my phd research and some people will use that as an argument to say well the church doesn't have any power now so it doesn't matter that it's so patriarchal Mm. and that for me is not a valid argument because when I, this really came home to me, what well, the first thing was when I was 19, studying my BA degree and I was reading, I'd read all the Greek myths and then I was studying the medieval Christian mystics. And that's when I picked up the phone and called my father and I said, why is God male? And that was sort of the beginning really Um, But it was when I had my daughters, and so when, when I had Sophia nearly 23 years ago, and, you know, I would take her to church, and all you would hear were the male pronouns, you know, God, Father, Son, He, Him. And as a mother, I began to think, what is that doing to my daughter's psyche? That she and her gender that she identifies with and is born into has absolutely no representation in this religion. And that's when I really felt unable to bring them, my children up within a Protestant um, church. But what was very interesting for me is that um, I always had Latin boyfriends when I was younger. And of course they were Catholic and I spent a lot of time in Southern Italy. And what I loved about the rural villages, Catholic devotion is that it is so a paganistic, it's so deeply rooted in the earth and in the cycles of nature, mother nature, and you know, the vegetation and agricultural cycles but also it is absolutely focused on the Madonna and on the Black Madonna as that very deep earth mother goddess and so although you know my experiences in Peru really opened my eyes to the incredibly negative impact that the Roman Catholic Church has had in, for example, Latin America um, with its, you know, um, the influence and the power that it has politically on women's reproductive rights is immense Um, with, you know, with the not being allowed to use contraception, not being allowed to have abortions and and the knock-on effect of that at that time when I was in Peru was this massive spread of AIDS um, and you know, death of so many women from botched illegal abortions, um, and you know, a rise in orphans and street children. Um, so there is this, you know, very, very um, powerful part that the patriarchy of the Roman Catholic Church plays uh, in the reproductive rights, and then in the social in, in the social issues that come. However, when you actually experience the people's devotion through Catholicism of the Madonna, that's when you realize that it doesn't matter how much the patriarchy of the church tries to eradicate and control the divine feminine and women. The people crave her and are in complete devotion to her you know there is nothing more moving than seeing a village of very strong alpha male italian men on their knees in devotion to the black madonna or to the madonna and so um yeah i just find it fascinating really just looking at at the politics of it, and and looking at a secularised state like the UK, and then comparing it to, you know, a deeply Catholic, uh, rural community in in southern Italy, for example, and how there is just this primal need within us to worship the divine feminine that is stronger than any patriarchy or patriarchal religion can try to control. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I really agree. It's I really love being in those uh churches because and even even here, like it's not very common to see Mary depicted in the churches here. But sometimes you see something and it's so beautiful and it balances it out, but it's very you know when you go into one of those churches in southern um, southern parts of europe you see that there's so much left of the magic and the, like the original like the the what 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 it was what it what everything grew from it's i mean this wasn't invented from nothing because this is traditions that have been for so long and then i'm thinking how can how can one not worship that aspect because imagine when you came out from your mother like that the worship of you know the eye gazing Mm -hmm. the breastfeeding like it's a remembrance Mm -hmm. back to that mother but also like the great mother so yeah. that's why there's been so much uh, when 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 we're in balance then the feminine has been very much suppressed and and uh, things are definitely needing still needs to change in the world and like you said when you cannot anymore control female sexuality then you start to in legislation to control what she can do still with her body mm-hmm. through abortion laws and mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. to again tame right why, why would it would they it's a taming again like
1: yeah yeah It's yeah. a total and, suppression. it yeah. reminds me when you're saying that do you remember a few years ago when in the us and there was that photograph of that table surrounded by men making that decision on women's mm. reproductive rights and yeah. i mean that just made me <laughs> really raging and it, you know this has to stop this is mm. absolutely ridiculous that a group of white patriarchal men dictate the reproductive rights of women how mm. is that even allowed to happen
0: no there there's so much that we think is um, like female um, contraceptives, and there's already things that that could be uh, produced for men, but it's still, again, controlling the female cycles, controlling the body, the decisions, and it's so ingrained. And right now, like in this time, we're kind of like going backwards but i hope like this backwards motion is like just gonna s- swing us forward and we are seeing changes in the these uh generations now that are coming because um like youths now have a different like base to stand on because the knowledge is out there and it's more talked about and and everything with gender is being discussed in a way that it wasn't before but in and maybe that's why also this uh, this new ve- something that's been going on for decades now is opening up and it, and it is the path of uh, goddess worship and it is the path of of like opening up and even men are Uh, joining in on that so it's not only women like and and that's also beautiful that it it can be both and to be inclusive in that way i feel like a lot has happened just the past 10 years when it comes to like questioning why maybe maybe that's why it's not attractive anymore because it it is clearly an imbalance if you go to a church and listen to something and it's only like one aspect and you don't feel like you're you can relate to it in a way because i've seen i've really seen in in a vision where i felt like just in 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 the topic of gnosticism and and you know jesus and mary magdalene exact for example which are like could be a physical incarnation of this, this energy that you're talking about and how they merged together and also uh, Mother Mary and, and that also formed like a trinity in a way, like the these three dif- different aspects, but still I felt like Mother Mary was still the one that birthed which which had held a very strong, um, strong place in that trinity. Mm -hmm. And I really loved when I heard uh, Swami talk about this as well, because we're speaking about it like this. But this is this is something in other cultures. Of course, there's the divine feminine in Hinduism and and in Mm -hmm. so many those that have kept their their beliefs and their their mythologies and th- their stories intact like yeah. in hinduism uh, it is the divine mother it, it there is this um cosmic womb that mm. births mm. everything and he said well you would never say that god the father would lay down and birth all of universe you would say it's the goddess the the mother that birthed right it's it makes more sense when we look at it that way but I'm also wondering with Gnosticism so there were texts that were hidden and that had a huge impact on the way the religion was played out and how in your understanding and how what you've studied, like what do those texts bring that were like un- unveiled in just mm. recent times?
1: Mm. So there was the Nag Hammadi Library that was found, which are all the very early Christian uh, Gnostic texts um, that were suppressed originally by the patriarchal church so they were found and they are incredible um and so you have the gospel of thomas you have the gospel of mary magdalene um and the one of the texts that i work with very deeply is called the sophia of jesus christ and this is where they set out this sacred marriage so there are four people in this myth there is god and his consort Sophia, and they perform the sacred marriage and they give birth to an androgynous being called Christ, who is both male and female. And his male aspect is Christ and his female aspect is Sophia. So that is the origin. The origin of Christianity is in that myth, that there is a divine God, your know, father God, a mother goddess, together, they create, they come together in the sacred marriage, they give birth to the divine child who is both female and male, Christ and Sophia. And so that's what we need to return to because that is the sacred marriage. You know, that is the union. And obviously we live in times where people don't necessarily identify with a specific gender and so we just have to be very careful when we're talking about male and female men and women that really this is about the masculine characteristics and feminine characteristics so it goes beyond gender identification Um, and i think that's very very important you know to recognize that especially for teachers like me who work very deeply with the sacred marriage which can sound very heteronormative because you're talking about goddess and God, male, female, Um, but actually these are qualities and characteristics that are in all of us. And then we might as an individual identify with some of them more strongly, regardless of what gender, you know, we identify with. Um, But that, that is the origin myth. And then of course the patriarchal church came along And they just destroyed Sophia and they just took God and Christ from that myth and the mother goddess Sophia and the daughter aspect of Christ, who is Sophia, were eradicated. So one of the most powerful things to do is to explore what's known as the underground stream. I love that phrase. The underground stream is how these teachings survived. So they survived through the Holy Templar Knights, through the Cathars, and then through the gypsies, which was amazing. So they wove them into the tarot and then they traveled all over Europe. And so the gypsies were an amazing um, force uh, of keeping these hidden, sorry, hidden, esoteric teachings alive for us all hidden in the codes and then we see them in the tapestries uh, that were woven so I'm very blessed to have one of those tapestries that used to hang in my family home um, of the um, dame and the unicorn and the uh, the unicorn and um, they are of Magdalene in the rose garden of Eden and so the one I have is sight and you have the unicorn with his hooves in her lap, and that is Christ. And his hooves are in her lap, in her yoni for a reason, because they're performing the sacred marriage. And so we are so blessed to have these esoteric traditions and alchemy um, that have kept all these mystery teachings alive, and you find them woven in all the Arthurian legends and the grail mysteries. and that's that's a real passion of mine, is exploring the underground stream. Um, I especially love working with the Tarot, with the grail Mysteries, um, the Templar Knights, Rosalind Chapel, I feel deeply connected to on that soul level. Um, and so the teachings are there for us to uncover, um, but they are called the Mysteries for a reason. And so as much as we can read and learn with our left brain, we really cannot understand or enter the mysteries um, outside of personal direct experience or path of gnosis.
0: That's so beautiful. And I'm thinking that the the studying of the texts, it's I mean in yoga there's different paths into enlightenment, right? Or like yogic paths. And one of them is jnana yoga. And it's also the like the, the yoga of the intellect to when you read certain texts, they activate something in you. Your your knowledge expands, your understanding, right? Your mm-hmm. your awareness. And I think that on my path, that's very important and an important uh, part, like everything that you're sharing now. And then to, through that, also get the experience in a way, and it it works on different levels, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just what happened to me with Sophia. So Mm -hmm. I've studied her in my master's and my PhD research. So I knew in a left brain way who she was, but I had no lived embodied gnosis or experience Mm. of her. And it was only when I gave birth to my eldest daughter, Sophia, Mm. who then was born with a life-threatening syndrome Mm. um, and repeatedly led me on that sophianic descent and ascent of the soul through nursing her through 12 surgeries that I came to have that lived embodied experience of who Sophia, as black goddess of wisdom is and then we became the living embodiment of her mythos and so what i find is that the deities come to us and they come and initiate us mm. it's like sometimes people will ask me you know um do you have a deep devotion to sarah for example the holy grail And personally, I don't because she hasn't come and initiated me. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my colleagues has a very deep relationship with her because she came to her as a child and, Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it is, uh, my deepest devotion is to the deities who have come to me and initiated me. And then that becomes your gnosis, your wisdom to share with others and so i think it's really important when we want to come from a place of deep integrity as teachers um, and wayshowers and guides that we we are only sharing the lived embodied wisdom from our own path of gnosis um, mm. that we you know that we have gained
0: yeah i really agree and and i feel like that's that's so important because if we are trying to push everything forward and we're still living in that masculine or like patriarchal state to be effective and to have a goal with it but i what i've seen in my path and in many others and as in yours is that You get initiated through uh, a lot of the experiences that you have and it's um, it doesn't mean that you cannot have it unless you go through as it's very unique for everyone. And Mm -hmm. when you are feeling drawn to something, there's a reason for it and it feels natural. And it was like um, the first time. I can't remember if I've been twice or once to Glastonbury, but when I went that the very first time um, I ended up being there, it was very last minute. It was like booked maybe two days in advance. And I didn't know, but it was the celebration of Mary Magdalene's feast day when I was there in that particular week. And I was there on the 22nd. And I know that's a Catholic, uh, it's a Catholic thing, but the energy was felt in in the town and all of that. So that was kind of also like a initiation after that. And I hadn't, didn't know so much about her story. And then I read, of course, afterwards and had my own experiences with it. So also maybe in different times, in life, different uh, energies come into our lives. I mean, I felt like Ishtar came in for me exactly when I started my own uh, journey, that's been going on for years. And um, before that, other other types of energies as well. And we, but then there there's a connection in a way, and and you kind of know which like you' we talk a lot about the black Madonna and the dark goddess and all of that. it's it's the same energy. I think that everyone has the, the their own type of of embodiment. If you're called to work with the goddess or with deities in this lifetime, you kind of have a v- vibration that that you um, work with and, some of it, can, because there's also just if you look at the Hindu goddesses, for example, you have Kali is so different from Lakshmi and in the in the Celtic and in the British uh, or the the English uh, teachings and in Glastonbury, there's the different goddesses for the different times, the wheel of the year and that energy is so different. Uh, from I mean the winter solstice to the summer solstice embodies a different face of the goddess. It's more like a different facet. But I feel like it, it, the the path uh, that we're on, the energy is kind of the same. And we have had um, this initiation that you spoke about. That it comes to you, and maybe right then you don't know why, and then things unfold and and there's so much to discover there. So it's really interesting. And I really love that you did your uh, whole PhDs and research on Sophia. And did her stories also get a little bit twisted with time or like if you look at those original uh, texts? Because I thought I heard that also her it was, um, was it that the, the stories around her also changed with the patriarchal system, mm. is that right?
1: Yes, I mean, well, really, they, they just, I mean, she doesn't exist in the Bible. So um, mm. she only exists, for example, in the Song of Songs, when she says, I'm black and comely. That's Sophia, Black Mm. Goddess of Wisdom, but she's not named as Sophia. And when she is referred to, she's referred to as God's wisdom. Mm. So she's not a being in her own right. So she Mm. literally gets completely eradicated. Um, But something I love studying is the fairy tales. Mm. And so so Sleeping Beauty, for example, is a classic uh, embodiment, later embodiment of her story and so of course there's the patriarchal spin on it which is that we have this damsel in distress who can only be awoken by you know prince charming but of course what that is is the metaphor so it's the the anima is sleeping she's hasn't awoken yet to her divinity so she's in the unconscious sleep of the egoic life and the part of her that awakens her is Christ, is that her, which is the embodiment of her soul living in the Pleroma. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing I love doing is stripping back the patriarchal layers and fairy tales and actually getting to that origin source. So when we know her mythos, we can find it in all these hidden aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that's what I love to do. And just to bring her back into the world, um, she is just the most powerful source of light, of hope, of inspiration that shines within the dark. And, um, I think her light is just growing stronger and stronger and stronger, or perhaps it's that it's just becoming more visible because it already is there. It already is all powerful. And maybe it is that, that we are just helping to unveil that light so that it can shine more brightly in the world and that every individual can recognize that light shining within them, because that's really what it's about, is every individual awakening to their own divine light, and wisdom and soul potential and I feel so strongly that all of us who have chosen to incarnate at this time are part of that awakening and it's mm. only when we awaken that we can truly come together and co-create from that place of the inner sacred marriage and also the external sacred marriage and I think it is so important that women and men and those who identify with feminine characteristics or masculine characteristics rise up and come together in union to overthrow the patriarchs and to create uh, the new earth star together from that place of mutual honouring and respect and honouring the different roles that we play Um, I think that is so important, and I feel, I was talking about this yesterday, that I think, and I talk about this with my, with my priestess sisters here, that um, many people who identify as men are quite lost at the moment, because they don't know what their role is. They want to support women, and they want to be a part of the co-creation of the new earth, but how do they come into their full embodiments as the hero warrior without having power over the female or those who identify with more feminine traits and um i i do a lot of work and i know other priestess sisters do around calling back the hero warrior you know really because it is it is, in the myth, it is Isis, who at this time of the resurrection rites, it is she who descends into the deep to remember her king, Osiris, to gather his fragmented parts, to bring him back to wholeness. Mm-hmm. And she is the one who gives his potency back to him so that they can s- conceive the divine magical child self, Horus will be born at the next winter solstice and so I think those of us who identify as women or with feminine characteristics it is part of our role to help men or those who identify with those masculine characteristics to remember themselves as the hero warriors that they are born to be and to join with us in sacred union and in mutual honour and respect um, as healthy kings and queens um, and that is the only way that we are going to overthrow the patriarchy and rise up and create a new earth together that is founded on those values of mutual respect and love and honour.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's so beautiful. And I love the correlation with the Isis story and and what she did, Um, very beautiful and so true. And I would like to ask you also, so when is your priestess training starting? And it sounds so beautiful, like everything that you just shared now. And I think that many people would, definitely want to learn more about the, this uh, path. And uh, yeah, is it online? Is it in in England? How does it work?
1: So I run the Avalon Rose Priestess Training and that is a 10 month online training uh, from every year. It runs from August through to June. And mm-hmm. then um, we have an in-person pilgrimage the Mary Michael Pilgrimage to Glastonbury Avalon in the Summerlands, which Mm. is an in-person, very deep lived and bodied experience in these lands of all the mythos of the Avalon Rose lineage. And then there is an online practitioner training, the Avalon Rose Practitioner Training, which is a seven week intensive training um, which is accredited and where you'll become a licensed practitioner to run courses on behalf of the Avalon Rose Chapel for the healing and empowerment, uh, specifically of women and those who identify as women.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And then I have a pilgrimage to Southern Italy, Mm -hmm. uh, the land of the Black Madonna, and specifically in Sicily, which Mm -hmm. is one of my soul's home. And, um, And that is really, again like the pilgrimage in Glastonbury that is like the lived embodied experience of those goddesses that we work with on the practitioner training uh, in their land in their ancient temples Um, and that's how I like to work I always work with the sacred marriage of the left brain and the right brain so we do the academic work so that that is like you said earlier it's lodged within that left brain, and it begins to ripple through into the right brain. Um, but then I always use as a transpersonal therapist, I always use guided journeys, rituals, ceremony and pilgrimage to have mm. that lived embodied experience of those archetypes that work with within our own psyche. So my vision is really to keep growing the Avalon Rose Chapel and its community of priestesses and practitioners. Um, so that we can bring these teachings out more and more into the world, help people to heal, to become fully empowered on their own path of gnosis, to recognize the light of Sophia shining deep within them, to empower them to share their own unique soul gifts in the world, Um, and then to keep challenging the patriarchy. You know, that that is a very important path Uh, part of the path of the priestess is to stand in our power, to harness that wise woman warrior energy to really anchor Lilith in and Mm. to fight on behalf of the women who are still horrifically subjugated throughout the world and the majority in the name of patriarchal religion.
0: Mm. Mm, that's so beautiful and I will share the links in the show notes so people can read more and connect with you Uh, and I want to thank you so much for sharing again and there would be so many more questions if the time hasn't just flown by as usual (laughs) but I want to thank you so much again Annabelle it was such a pleasure to talk to you again thank you so much
1: Thank you so much, Shireen. I absolutely love talking with you. I know we have a deep soul sister connection, so it's been a complete honor. Thank you so much.
0: Mm, Thank you.